The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Now to today's scripture reading that the teaching is based, Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Awesome, let's pray and then we'll get into this passage. Father, uh, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for the provision of your word that you've given it to us to to learn from and, and read, Lord, and not just to learn about your word, Lord, but ultimately, Father, we, we thank you that we can come to know you through your word, Father. Jesus, we thank you that you've revealed precisely who you are through these words, Father. And so we are, we are so grateful for that. Jesus, we, we ask that you would help us this morning as we learn from you, as we read your word. Help us to apply this. Help us to be convicted by this. Help us to be challenged by this. Holy Spirit, be with us, grow our hearts, mature us, challenge us, Lord, convict us of where we need to be convicted, Lord, and encourage us where we need to be encouraged. We thank you, Father. Amen. <clears throat> I, <clears throat> I have a, uh, a very vivid memory of when I was around 13 or 14 years old of a prayer that I prayed on my way to school one morning. I was sitting in the back of my parents' uh, white 1987 Mitsubishi Starwagon Express. Um, it was a van. I was in the very back seat on the on left-hand side. We were in Fifth Avenue in Windsor, Brisbane. So this memory is like etched in my mind. I can remember every detail about, well, lots of details about this prayer that I prayed. Um, I don't know what precipitated this prayer. Like I don't know what I was thinking about or how it came up. Um, I don't know why it's so clearly lodged in my memory, but I meant this prayer, and I prayed it with all my heart. And my prayer was this. Lord, I will do anything you want. Just don't send me to be a missionary overseas. That was, for whatever reason, that was the prayer that I prayed. I just, Lord, I'm happy to do whatever you want, as long as it's not that. The idea of going to a country overseas, particularly like a third world nation, as a missionary, was the opposite to what I thought would be good for me, and it would have been the greatest interruption to living a life of comfort and joy. Now, don't get me wrong, 
I was willing to do whatever God wanted me to do, so long as it was something that I also wanted to do as well. Like we, who here has prayed prayers like that? Who's bargained with God? Like, God, I'll do anything you want, just not that. That's a pretty massive driver for a lot of Aussie Christians. We are committed Christians. We're in. But we're also often convinced that a life devoted to doing what God wants us to do can often sound quite unenjoyable or difficult. The idea of a sold-out Christian is just a bit intense for us. And so uh, we prefer to live a life of our choosing. The idea of being sold out for Christ is not, doesn't sound very enjoyable at all. And I think that if you were really to investigate that, the area that probably stands out for us the most, the way that stands out for us the most, is evangel- evangelism. From what I can gather, the area of faith which most Aussies feel incapable of doing well or ashamed of how little they've done would be evangelism. Telling other people the good news about Jesus. Now, that's not the case for everybody. <clears throat> I've got some friends who have the gift of evangelism, the spiritual gift of evangelism, and they, just, they talk to an unbeliever and they can't help but bring Jesus into the conversation and they just start telling people about Jesus. That's wonderful. For the rest of us, that's something that we actually often so, lack, so often lack the boldness to do. And if that's you, my hope is that through our study of this text that we're studying today, uh, we're going to find the antidote to that the antidote to that fear. My prayer is that we, like Paul, will grow in our boldness to proclaim the mystery of the gospel to the world around us. And what this text is going to tell us is that the only way that can happen is if we see that Jesus' way of life is so much better than anything that we could ever plan or achieve. And if I can say that again, Jesus' way of life is so much better than anything that we could ever plan or achieve. Because here's the thing. The nature of good news is that we want to share it. Like if you've got good news, you don't have to try to share it. In fact, it's more so the opposite. You have to try not to share it. Consider somebody, a couple maybe, who've been trying to get pregnant for a long time, suddenly get the good news they've been looking for, and they want to share it with the world. Or maybe the person who gets a promotion, maybe the person who, who gets the, their dream job, and they, it's not hard to share that good news. They want to share it with everybody and anybody around them because the nature of good news is that we just want to share it. And so I've become convinced that part of the reason why so many Christians struggle with evangelism is because we've just stopped believing that it's good news. Or maybe we've forgotten how good the good news is. Today is our final week of this Fearless series. We've been, we've been looking at the, uh, the armor of God in Ephesians 6. And Paul has been talking to us, talking to his readers, and telling us that God has given us his armor to be able to stand firm and be brave in the face of opposition. And we are called to take up the armor of God. And as Paul finishes this part of the letter, he's, he asks the Ephesian church to be in prayer for him and for other missional Christians as well, as they proclaim this mystery of the gospel. And that's what these verses are all about. Evangelism, proclaiming the gospel to people around us. Following, following on from what Paul has been saying about the armor of God, we can conclude that this here is a very imp- important reason for the armor of God that God has given us. 
there is a battle to fight. And it's not just for our souls. The battle is for the souls of the people around us who don't yet know how wonderful Jesus is. Know this. Satan wants nothing more than for those who are currently separated from God to remain that way. And he wants those of us who have been reconciled to God to be too afraid to do anything about it and to keep it to ourselves. That's the fight that is on our hands. See, our reality is that every single one of us, if we are a Christian, every single one of us has been called to proclaim the gospel to those around us. It's not, just given, it's not a task given to some people and not others. All Christians are called to make disciples. You have been, if you're a Christian, then God has called you to be a witness in the place you live, the place you work, the, the cafes you go to. You've been called to be a witness in those places. And the reason why God has you living on the street that you live or this, in the set of apartments that you live in is because he wants you there and not some other Christian who you, might, who you might think could do a better job. God wants you there because you are his witness in that apartment building. God wants you to be working in that place you work at, at that doctor's surgery or in that school or as an accountant or as a stay-at-home mom or he, your kids are at that particular school so you can be friends with the other parents of that particular school. God wants you there to be his witnesses there. We're not just an employee. We're not just a resident. We're a missionary who happens to be a resident, who happens to be an employee of that particular place. Every single one of us, if we are Christians, we've been called to share the gospel with those around us, to make disciples. That's the meaning of the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Jesus' command isn't primarily to go. His command is primarily to make disciples as you go. So how do we do that? How do we become missionaries, the missionaries that God has called us to be in those places? Well, we can take a bit of a, a lesson from Paul in this. And what we get in these last three verses of Ephesians 6, 10 to 20 uh, is an insight into Paul's own ministry. And it's going to shed light on why Jesus' way of life is so much better than anything else that we could ever plan or we could achieve. So to, just to give you some context, Paul is writing this letter from house arrest. He's in prison. Um, he's in prison for proclaiming the gospel. And we get an insight here into Paul's ministry, and we can really boil these last three verses into three key points. Firstly, prayer. Secondly, evangelism. And thirdly, persecution. So firstly, let's look at prayer. The first insight we get into Paul's ministry is his need for prayer. He says in verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Prayer was a vital aspect of Paul's ministry. He knew that he needed prayer uh, for the mission at hand. And we need prayer too. We need to be praying. We need others to be praying for us, for the mission at hand, for the people around us who don't know Jesus. You and I... No matter what we, what we do, no matter what we can do, none of us can actually change someone's heart towards Christ. That's not our job. Thank goodness for that. We aren't called to do that. That's not our job. That's actually the job of the Holy Spirit to change someone's heart, to communicate the truth of the gospel. What we can do is we can pray that that would be the case. We can pray for that person. We can be praying for that person, for their heart to be, to be drawn towards Christ. 
And we go then, we, we go in about the mission knowing full well that God is more eager for that person to be saved than we are. And so that gives us a whole lot of confidence. Prayer has got to be a vital aspect of our lives and our, and our ministry. But I don't think that really any of us in this room need to be convinced of that. I don't think I know a single Christian who would actually say, yeah, I don't think we really need to pray that much. So I don't think we need to be convinced of that. Yet for a lot of Christians, their lives are, are seriously lacking in prayer. A life void of prayer is a life that is marked by pride. A life without prayer is a life that says, I don't really need God. I've got this covered. A lack of prayer is always an indicator of unhealthy pride. Maybe you've been in a small group or a life group and gone around the circle and they've asked for prayer points and it's come to you and you've got none. If that's you, your prayer point should be, I'm too proud and I need to be humbled. Or, I'm too complacent, and I need to be challenged. I take great encouragement from the fact that even the Apostle Paul needed prayer from the church. We need to be praying. Maturity in Christ is never marked by less prayer, but by more. Maturity in Christ is, is seen in, our, in the evidence of needing God more. So what should our prayer life look like? Well, from what Paul says here, we can uh, surmise five things at least. Firstly, prayer should be continual. Paul says to pray at all times. Secondly, Paul says to pray at all times in the Spirit. Now, there's a lot that we could say there, but quite simply, it's recognizing that as we pray, the Holy Spirit is leading us in prayer, and He is empowering and energizing our prayers as we pray them. That's what it means to pray in the Spirit. Thirdly, Paul says, pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, which we should take to mean all types of prayer. Paul, uh, sorry, prayer is more than just asking for stuff. It's also talking to God, glorifying God, confessing our sins to God, thanking God. If our prayers entirely consist of God, I'd like this, 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 there's nothing wrong with that. Let's make sure we also add in, God, thank you for this. <laughs> thank you for what you've done. Let's glorify our Father. Let's, let's not just treat him as a butler who gets our, gets our jobs done. The fourth thing about prayer here is that it's persistent. Paul says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. So, so prayer is watchful and patient. It's alert and it perseveres. Some of you in this room have been praying for things for months and years. Some of you in this room, I know, have been praying for certain things for decades. Keep praying. Keep persevering. Keep praying for that outcome. Christian history is littered with souls saved after decades of prayer. The fifth thing that Paul says about prayer, he says, making supplication for all the saints. This simply means to be praying for one another. Now, are we doing that? Do you pray for the other people in your church? Are you, are you lifting them up, up, up in prayer? Are you praying for me? I covet your prayers. I need your prayers. I know a lot of you do. Be praying for one another. We are a prayerfully dependent church. This is why we have so much prayer in our services. This is why ever since we've started those prayer meetings on Wednesday mornings down in the front, we have advertised it every single Sunday, Sunday morning and have offered you the invitation to come. 
Now, I know for some of you, you can't make it. It's way too early. It's hard to get out that early or you've got work or whatever it is. That's totally fine. We'd still love to be praying for you, though. So please be sending through prayer points as we do that. We are, we are a prayerfully dependent church. We're also a missionally driven church. And that brings us to the next point, which is about evangelism. In verse 19, Paul says, Pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So this is comforting, right? Like Not, not only does Paul need prayer, but Paul needs prayer for the exact same things that I need prayer for. Sometimes we can elevate people like Paul to some kind of superhero status and we go, well, he's, just, he's the Apostle Paul and so he's on a different level to us. And there's a degree to which, yeah, he's an Apostle. Like we, it's, we, he's on a different level. But at the same time, here he is asking for prayer for really basic things. Praying for, asking for prayer that he would have the right words to say that he had boldness. I mean, if we're lacking in boldness, if we don't find that we've got the right words to pray, we're in good company here. So let's look at those things. He, he asked that he would have the right words. Maybe one of the things that scares you about doing evangelism is that the person who you're talking to might come up with some really tough questions for you to try and answer. Paul asked for prayer for that, that he would have the right words to answer, to be able to answer his questions come up. His prayer was that as he opened his mouth to boldly proclaim, proclaim the mystery of the gospel, that the right words would be given to him. This is exactly what Jesus teaches us to do. He says, don't be anxious when we're in those situations. The Holy Spirit will teach us in that very hour what we ought to say. Now, this, this doesn't mean that we can go, oh, sweet, I don't even have to prepare. I don't have to do anything. I can just walk into a conversation. And if somebody asks me a tough question about uh, Christianity versus science or something like that, I don't even have to know the answer to that. I can just start talking and the Holy Spirit's going to speak through me. Can the Holy Spirit th- do that? Yes. But does the Holy Spirit do that? Not all the time. And it's for this reason that Peter says, uh, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So how can we be prepared? How can we ready ourselves for tough conversations? Be prepared. Read up on those tough questions. There are so, go to Kurong. There are so many books that make sense of this stuff. Listen to podcasts that will help you get there. And above all, Remain in God's word. So that when people have questions about stuff, we, we can, in that moment, trust that the Holy Spirit is going to show up. This is what Paul was asking for prayer for, and, and you and I should seek those same things. We know that he's going to be with us as we go. The second thing that Paul asked for prayer for is boldness in opening his mouth. And this is so encouraging. Like if you're lacking in boldness to share the gospel with others then you're in good company. Paul's with you on that. Paul needs boldness. We all need boldness to go and do it. He recognizes his need for that. If that's you, pray for boldness. Ask for boldness. Ask God for boldness to share the gospel with those around you. And know that when we pray for boldness, that doesn't necessarily mean that God's going to wave a magic wand over us and we're going to wake up tomorrow morning feeling full of boldness to go and share the gospel. It's probably going to come through the opportunity to be bold, which means there's also an opportunity to not be bold, but know that the Holy Spirit is with us. Third thing that Paul asked for, asked for boldness, sorry, third thing that Paul asked for is boldness to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. 
And there's two things that we can infer from that little line there. Firstly, the gospel needs to be proclaimed. Because, as, Jesus, as, as Paul says in Romans, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So as well as serving others, we ought to be ready to open our mouths and share the gospel with them. You can serve somebody as much as they want, but if they never actually hear the gospel, uh, they're not going to be saved by anything else other than that, than Christ working through his word there. The second thing is that the gospel is a mystery. God works mysteriously through the proclaimed message of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in ways that we can't fully understand. Now, that doesn't mean that the gospel is incomprehensible. It does mean, though, that when the gospel is proclaimed, it's the Holy Spirit who works to communicate the truth of the gospel to people for them to believe. This is why when we sang that song before, Jesus, in all my sorrows, Jesus is better, make my heart believe. I need to pray that prayer. I need help to believe the stuff that the Bible calls me to believe. I need the Holy Spirit to open my eyes and my heart to that. So putting that together, the task that we have before us is to go and proclaim the gospel driven along and accompanied by the Holy Spirit with our endeavors underwritten by prayer. It means we've got to be fluent in the gospel. And and to be fluent in the gospel, the best way we can do that is preach it to ourselves. You see, if you're preaching the gospel to yourselves, and I, I mean literally waking up in the morning and saying, okay, this is what the gospel is. That even though I'm a sinner and I rebelled against God and I continue to do that on a daily basis, Jesus Christ died for my sins. God has forgiven me of my sins. He has removed my sins from me as far as the east is from the west. He loves me with an unchanging, never-ending love. And that's what changes my heart. And he, he rose again. He rose again, which means that when I die, I'm going to rise with him because I am in him. And it means that I'm going to be brought and welcomed into heaven, the new heavens and the new earth, to be with him forever. And that's the good news of the gospel. We've got to be fluent in that. And the best way to be fluent in that is by preaching it to ourselves first and foremost so that we can be convinced of how good that good news is. And we need to trust that since the gospel is a mystery, that the Holy Spirit will be with us as we step out in boldness to proclaim that message. Now, that all seems like a lot. I know that because that seems like a lot for me. And when I think about my non-Christian neighbors and the people around us, and the, the parents of the kids at school and all the, the non-Christians who we come into contact with all the time, I think to myself, okay, how do I get started? How can, how can I actually start doing this? And so what I want to share with you are four simple steps that can help you get going with evangelism. And they all start with the letter I, just so that's convenient, to make it a bit easier. So the first step is, the first step is identify. Pick someone who you want to share the gospel with and start looking for opportunities to do so. And let me give you a hint. That someone is already in your life. Now, you might have already done this with somebody. You might have somebody in your apartment block in your street that you're already doing with, this with, and that's fantastic. All you've got to do to complete this step is to pick someone. You don't even have to tell them. In fact, don't tell them. That probably would be a little bit weird if you went, you're my, you're my pick. You're the one. I mean, you, who knows? The Holy Spirit might work through that. Step two is intercede, which is just a fancy word for saying pray, but it starts with the letter I, so we use the word intercede. As you pray for someone, God will grow your heart for them. 
Pray for that person. Pray for the best for their life. Pray, that, pray for immense blessing in their life. Because as you start to pray for someone, you can't pray for someone for very long without, starting, without your heart starting to be warmed up towards them. As you pray for somebody, you're going to feel like you're going to find God shifting your attitude towards them. You're going to be moving towards them in, in grace and mercy, going, How can I love them? How can I care? How are they going? Pray for that person. And as you pray for them, know, as you pray for the best for them, know that actually the thing that is best for them is Jesus Christ. Step three is invest. Invest in them, invest in their life, serve them, find out more about them. When you spend time with them, make it about them, not about you. If they're moving, help them move. If they need babysitting, help them babysit. Whatever you can do to serve them, do that to serve them. Lay down your life for them. And then step four is invite. Invite them to hear the gospel. Invite them to read the Bible together. Invite them to church. Invite them to just, just to something, to a conversation. Now, that might sound too simple. And it is really simple, but what it does is, is it gives us some traction to get going. And if you're in a life group, one of our life groups, this week at life group, we're going to be talking about this. Not just at ours, but at Dryden Lawrence and at Javen and Holly's life group too. And, and we're going to be going around the circle, going around the table and asking, who's your pick? We're going to be doing step one together. Who is the person in your life? Who is the person in your life who, who doesn't know Jesus and you would like to share the gospel with them? And we're going to go, we're going to name names. And we're going to pray for one another. And then two weeks later, when we get together for a life group, we're going to say, how'd you go? Did you get an opportunity to share the gospel with them? Oh, no, I didn't. That's okay. We're going to pray for you again. Have you been praying for them? No, I completely forgot. That's okay. We're going to pray for you as well. And we're going to do that, and we're going to do that, and we're going to do that. Because there's a battle for their souls. Eternity is at stake for these people. And the purpose of this isn't to make us feel guilty. The purpose is, it to, is, is to spur us on and encourage us to do, to do that thing that we often feel so inept to do. And that's going to be a good start, but we've got one more point here. And if we miss this last point, the first two will always seem like a chore and a burden. And so if you've timed out a little bit, come back to earth now, because this is how we're going to be finishing our series in Ephesians 6. This is probably the most important thing you need to hear from me today. This last point is on persecution. In verse 20, Paul refers to himself as an ambassador for the gospel in chains. And that there is the crucial piece of all of this. It's vital for understanding the way that Paul viewed ministry. If we don't understand Paul's chains, then any mission that we undertake will be void of joy, we'll never want to pray, and we'll always feel guilty about our lack of missional urgency. So to give you some history, Paul wrote this letter while he was under house arrest in Rome. He had been arrested a few years earlier when he was in Jerusalem for preaching the gospel. And if you go back and read Acts chapter 19 and really those last 10 chapters of Acts, you'll see that the only reason why Paul was in Jerusalem was because he was resolved to go uh, to Jerusalem by the Holy Spirit, even though he knew and had been warned that, it, that he would be arrested if he went there. Paul was under every impression imaginable that he would be arrested if he returned to Jerusalem. But he said in Acts 21 verse 13, I am not only ready to be imprisoned, but even to die 
in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Let me read that to you again. Paul says in Acts 21, 13, before he wrote Ephesians, I am not only ready to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And that there is the key. That there is a whole lot different to what I prayed in my parents' Mitsubishi Starwagon Express when I was 13 or 14 years old. Paul knew that in order to stay out of jail, all he had to do was keep his mouth shut about Jesus and stay away from Jerusalem. That's all he had to do. What does Paul do? He goes to Jerusalem and goes straight into the temple and starts proclaiming the gospel. And that's crucial. You see, for Paul, there was simply nothing better than living for Jesus, even if it meant that he was in jail or house arrest or being dragged before various authorities. Paul knew that a life with Christ, but robbed of all civil liberties, was far more preferable than having everything else but not Jesus. And that's the claim of the gospel. That's what makes the good news good. The claim of the gospel is that Jesus is better than the sum of everything else in this life. To have Jesus is better than having everything else this world could ever give us. And if you don't believe that, if you're not convinced that Jesus is better than everything else, then mission will always seem like a burden and prayer will always feel like a chore. You'll hate doing mission. You'll hate doing mission because... Every time you try to do it, it'll feel like it interrupts your, your comforts, your, the things that you love. And, and you won't be able to see why Jesus in someone else's life is much better for them than not being in their life. You'll be unable to see how Jesus makes their life better. And that's particularly hard for us here on the Sunshine Coast. Mission here on the Sunshine Coast is incredibly difficult. Why? Because of Moffat Beach. It's so darn beautiful. Kings Beach, stunning. Bullcock, amazing. And people move here. We meet, people have moved here for the lifestyle. They want to have their best life now. And, and so we have this challenge of sharing the gospel, of understanding that Jesus has got to be better than those things. And here's the good news. He is. Jesus is far better for us than living with a, a beautiful beachside view. He's far better than our, our barista knowing our order. He's far better than, than good health. He's far better than having a perfect car, a perfect house, a lovely car in our garage, all this stuff. He's far better than those things. The beach is great, but it just can't satisfy us the way that Jesus can. I went through a, a significant bout of anxiety last year, and I love the beach. The beach had nothing to say then. When life has fallen apart, this lifestyle doesn't cut it. When the family's falling apart, a long walk on the beach is not satisfactory. It's lovely, but it doesn't say anything. It's got nothing to say to that. It's, it's there for our, for our enjoyment. It's there for us to see how beautiful and wonderful God is, and we should do that. But Jesus is better. Jesus is far better. Nothing can satisfy us the way that Jesus can. And if you believe that, if you believe that Jesus is better than everything else in this world, then you're going to run to Jesus in prayer. And you're going to do evangelism with automatic joy. So how do we get there? How do we get to the point where we believe that Jesus is better to us than the sum of everything else? 
The only way that we can do that is if we go to the gospel ourselves and look again at what Jesus has done for us. We have to look at all that Jesus has done for us in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to preach the gospel now to ourselves. Let's look at that from Romans 8, 31 to 39. We've already read it today as part of our worship. Let me read it to you again. Paul says, Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That line's been ticking over in my mind this week. If God is for you, why would we ever care who is against us? Why would we ever care if the world is against us? If God is for us. The world could never give us what God already has given us. He says in verse 32, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So if God has been so generous to us to give us his son Jesus to die in our place, why would we ever think that he's been stingy or holding out on us? Paul continues, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Since God is the judge and the one who justifies us, then we are guaranteed eternal life in heaven forever. You don't have to earn that anymore if you are in Christ. It's a free gift. Paul continues, he says, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. God not only made the way for us to eternal life, but Jesus Christ right now is standing at the right hand of God, bringing our present and current needs to God's attention before God. He says in 35, Who shall separate us? From the love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the reason why Jesus is better than the sum of everything else in this world. It's because he gave, himself to, he gave us himself as a free gift, and he can never be taken away from us. He will never let us down. We can never be separated from his love. And we can't say that about anything else. We can't say that about the car that's in our garage. We can't say that about the spouse that's in our bed. We can't say that about the money that's in our bank account or the job that's in our future. We, the only thing we can say that about is Jesus, that he is better. He can never be taken away from us. He will never let us down. He is a free gift, freely given to us. That is true of nothing else. Only Jesus. And that's why he's better. You see, if you're feeling guilty and condemned about how little you pray and how little you do evangelism, what you need is not to try harder. What you need is to go back to the cross and see that as Jesus was there hanging, he was hanging for you. Because he loves you. 
He loves you enough to die for you so that you would receive his life and be reconciled to God and you could have him and he could have you forever. That's love. That's what you need to focus on. And if you remain indifferent to that, what you need to do is get on your knees and ask that God would crack open your hard heart and cause you to be overwhelmed by his grace. I'm not going to lower the bar and say, there, there, it's okay, just try harder. I'm going to point you to the only answer that we have, which is what God has done for us in sending his son, Jesus, to Jesus Christ, to make us righteous, to make us holy, to make us right with him. You need to know the grace of God in your life. You need to know that God loves you. And some of you need to know that God likes you as well. You need to know that God is for you. God wants you to succeed. He wants you to flourish. He wants you to live your best life now. And he knows that because he created you, that living your, life, your best life means living a life that is sold out to Jesus. Nothing else will quench your thirst, your eternal thirst like Jesus can. God wants your greatest joy and happiness to be big. He wants you to have everything you need, and so he gave you everything. He gave us himself. He gave us everything. And that there is all the motivation that we need to pray. It's all the drive we need to go and share the gospel with others and tell other people about Jesus. So listen to the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself. Dwell on the gospel. Chew on the gospel. Put the gospel in your pipe and smoke it. May the joy of our salvation drive us to God in prayer and to others in mission. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcast free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC. 